Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. We've been doing a series on prayer that we have started back in December. It has continued on under the umbrella of spiritual warfare. And as we begin to share with you our vision for 2020 and what God has been sharing with us and the leaders and the pastors, we are excited to do that. Teaser, it has to do with those 10 characteristics that attract God's presence. One of those is prayer. I don't know if one is more important than the other. I don't know. I always think prayer is right at the top in the middle and at the bottom. How can we not have prayer in everything we do? Amen. Amen. Last week, we, or the week before, we've talked about uh, different types of prayers, the here and now prayers, the prayers where we have to pray in the midst of exactly what's going on, in the midst of a hospital, or in the midst of a situation, we have to pray. There's also prayers that we have to pray in private, in isolation, where we get away from everything, and we pray so that we can focus on what God is saying to us, and we can give glory and honor to Him, and we can have an intimate time with Him. And then we talked about corporate prayers, prayers where we come together, prayers where we share with one another in one heart, one mind, and one accord, as the book of Acts have teach, taught us. We talked about how to use the Lord's Prayer as an outline, and to seek prayer gold, G-O-L-D, the O, the G stands for give. The O stands for forgive. I know that doesn't begin with an O. Um, the L stands with for lead and the D stands for deliver as we prayed at the beginning of service to, to model your prayers after that. I've been doing that for the last couple of months and I tell you it has really focused my prayer time with the Lord and, and it's really helped me put into focus what we're going to do today. Amen? Amen. Are you ready to pray for miracles. I mean, we're a Pentecostal church, are we not? We have a history of praying for miracles and seeing those miracles happen. We are the one of the few denominations who actually believes in signs and wonders as the word of God teaches. We pray for them. We look for them. Old men said dream dreams. Our young men said see visions and follow its signs and wonders. The Pentecostal faith has been in a history of revivals in America over and over and over again, all the way back in Azusa Street, in Pensacola, Florida, et cetera, et cetera. But how often in our everyday lives do we generally focus our prayers just on what's going on? And sometimes our everyday prayers, maybe when they're answered, we don't even count them as miracles. You know, it's funny. Uh, my son, Griffin, he's six. He plays video games a lot, and now the video games get you. The video games are free, and then you play the video games, and then in the video games, they charge you money to do things, and you can't do these things unless you pay the money. Like, this is the biggest racket I could possibly think of, and they're making, I'm sure, millions off of it, including my family. Anyway, Griffin was playing this game, and he's constantly asking me for money to take real money and turn it into fake money on the game, and I just, I just have a principal problem with that. But like most parents, you just ask enough and I just give in. By the way, God's like that. Yeah, I'll show you many times in scripture. So, I, you know, my son is like, I need $10 to, for this thing he wants. 
I'm not giving my son $10 for something on the video game. I'm just not doing it. He's like, Dad, it's the only way I can get this one character. I said, I'm not giving you $10 for that. He goes, I want to use my stars. That's, how, that's our currency at home. I said, I'm not giving you $10 for your stars to buy an in-game character. I'm just not doing it. He goes, he gets mad. He gets upset. Eventually he comes around and he says to me, well, I don't have any other option. And I said, well, I've seen the game before and they have these things in the game where it's basically a gift box and you can pay a dollar for the gift box and might get something interesting in a gift box, but most of the time you don't. So you have to buy lots of gift box, obviously. Well, in this particular game, um, it has a little button you can hit, the info button, and pops up a disclaimer and all of this of the statistics of how often things are dropped in that box are laid out. So he opens this gift box. He says, Dad, if you just let me get one gift box, I have a 1.26 chance. 1.26 chance of getting this character. And he looks at me and he goes, that's not good. Just give me the $10. I'm 100% sure. If you give me the $10, I can get it. I won't get it if you give me a dollar. I said, Griffin, all I'm going to do is give you a dollar. You should take care of it. Now, I didn't coerce him. I didn't sit down and pray with him. I didn't do anything. I just said, that's all I can do, Griffin. He took the dollar. He got the box. And I'm not kidding you as sure as I'm standing in front of you right now. He clicked that box. And that box returned the 1.26% that he wanted. And he got the exact character he wanted. Now, you can chalk that up to any way you want to chalk it up. My point is, God cares about what we care about. He prayed. He said, this is what I want. And you'd say, well, the Lord doesn't work that way. Maybe not for us. Maybe for him. I don't know. Who am I to say? All I am to say is that he associated that with an absolute miracle. And who am I to say it's not? He's praying for him. Are you praying for him? What would a miracle look like? You know, I think about Kingsway, and I think just about the last couple years that I've even been pastor, and we don't have enough people coming up giving testimonies. I keep telling you, you all know who you are, because I point you out. I'm not going to look right now, because you know who you are. And there's been lots of testimonies in this church of downright miracles. People who haven't had jobs got jobs. People whose jobs weren't sufficient got promoted to jobs that were sufficient. There's a young lady sitting over there who needed a home, a home to stay the Lord provided her a home, a, a brand new home where she can move in, and that is hers. Amen? That is a miracle, Jay. That is a miracle. I have seen some of you come here, and families, and people here who are not here, and one part of the family is here, and the other part is not, a husband or a spouse or et cetera, and we pray for the spouse to come, or we pray for a spouse who doesn't know the Lord, and they come, and they meet the Lord, and they give their hearts to the Lord in service. That's a salvation. That is a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. We had a roof problem that was $300,000 to fix, and we had $30,000 in the bank account. The roof is fixed. That is a miracle. Okay? And not a coincidence, a brand new roof was installed with brand new HVAC. Amen? That is a miracle. And you say, well, I can explain all those away. Okay, maybe you can. Maybe it's good favor. Maybe it's community outreach. Maybe it's us doing favors for one another. How do you explain the fact that I've had not one, not two, three couples, three young couples approach me since I've been at Kingsway, some that are members here, some that are visitors or et cetera, come and say, I am having struggle in our marriage to have children. We've tried and it's not happening. Can you pray with us? 
Not once, not twice, three times. Babies were brought into this world and counting. It's still happening. I don't tell these people to come to me and tell me this. These are miracles. Healings right here. We have seen not one, but two people since I've been pastor healed from cancer. Of course, these are people who are transient and we never see them and their family brings them in or they came through or they moved to an apartment or something. They come in, they get healed of cancer. I never see them again. Now that blows my mind, but it has happened. And all sorts of other healings have happened at this altar. Amen. I was healed twice in my life. Once I was in a hospital. Crohn's disease riddled through my body. They told me I was going to have to have a colostomy for the rest of my life and not be able to play sports. Yesterday, I played three hours in the snow with the boys with no colostomy. I did just fine. Amen. Another time I was in a hospital with two chief of surgeons and one neurologist telling me I would never walk again because I had fractured my spinal cord in multiple places, textbook paraplegic, and yet I stand here before you. These are my miracles. My son sat over there when he was just a baby, the same age little Joanna was, and he would not keep down any food. The doctor said he needed surgery, and yet he was healed without surgery. Some, okay. In every case, it's different. In my cases, actually, I actually went through surgical procedures. In his cases, he didn't. You know, all different sorts of miracles have happened in this place. But the problem is when you start getting personal, when you start getting down to, oh, things that we cannot deny are miracles, things like healing of the body or babies being brought into the wall or things like that, you know, it gets, people get a little more skittish, even in Pentecostal circles, to even pray for these things. And we have all sorts of teachings going around the church that God doesn't heal that way or we can't pray that way or God doesn't heal immediately anymore or if they're sick and you believe it's spiritual, it's probably because they're sinning or somebody else in their life is sinning or they're not living a righteous life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've heard these things. So why? Why do people get sick? Why do we struggle? Well, we know why. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world where there is absolute sin, where Adam and Eve disobeyed God, introduced sin into this world, the world became corrupt, and in it was viruses, diseases, infirmities, and et cetera that we are all exposed to. We also, yes, make stupid decisions as human beings that expose us to all sorts of risk, physical risk as well as spiritual risk. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes we actually sin, and those sins translate into judgment in our bodies. Yes, all of those are in Scripture. Is there one way? No. But I do want to say this. In every case, in every case, God heals and God uses it for his glory. Are you sure? Let's just look at one. I just figured I'd pick out one for you today. John 9, 1 through 2. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who has been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because, and this was written in scripture before, of his own sins or his parents' sins? This is a common belief even today. What did Jesus say? Do you remember? Do you recall? I love Jesus' words and I want to highlight them so clearly. John chapter 9 verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. 
what I'm explaining to you today is people are sick among us sometimes, and it has nothing to do with sin. There are attacks from Satan that have nothing to do with sin. In fact, Satan's attack is trying to produce sin in their lives, not the other way around. Jesus answered. This isn't Pastor Sean. This is Jesus Christ, John 9, 3. It's not because of sins, and yet this man was blind. This man was sick. This is one of many examples like this. What did Jesus say next? Jesus said next. That happened so that the power of God, say power of God, could be seen in him. Say, well, I'm confused. Does that mean God makes people blind? No, has, this is, Jesus is not saying anything about the root cause. He did not address the root cause. What he is saying is sick people can be used for the power of God so that the glory of God can be seen in them. It could not be any more clear. Amen. God will use anything and everything to show his power if we allow him to do so. Amen? This is the gospel of John, three verses, so the power of God could be seen in him. Do you want the power of God to be seen in you? What about you? What about you? What about you? Of course. Now, would we line up and say, make me sick, Lord, so you can see the power of God in me? Probably not. But if God told you right now, you could only go to the next level, that deeper level we were singing about. We could only go to this level that is almost unattainable unless you go through some type of wilderness experience and even a sickness. Would you do it? If you were speaking face-to-face with God, more than likely everyone would say, sign me up, sign me up. But the moment that stuff attacks us and comes on us, After the whole week we were praying, God, take me deeper, send me closer, teach me about you. We're like, oh, no, this is bad. Process it for a second. God wants to show his power in you. And for each one of us, it will be individual. It will be unique. And many cases, the other person sitting next to us won't understand it. That's not our role to understand it or explain it. Jesus didn't explain it. He merely said what he's going to do about it. The next verse says he was healed. Are you tracking with me? Let's go to this verse. This is James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Okay, so if you grew up in Pentecostal faith, you know the King James Version of this by heart. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. There are a lot of syllables and big words there our kids don't understand. They can understand this. An earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. God wants us to pray not just for ourselves, but for those around us. And in certain situations, it will have great power and produce wonderful results. I want to see that. More than just in my life, my family's life, and our church. Amen? So there's this word here, earnest prayer, King James fervent prayer. There's a number of translations of this a word that I've been investigating. You could go back and you can read the Greek, you can look at the tenses, you can begin to experience what is God trying to say here. Well, you have to keep reading to experience it because the very next verse he says in John 5, 17, he says, Elijah, remember Elijah? We've been preaching about Elijah for like a month and a half now. The guy in the cave, the guy with the rocks, the guy with the, uh, the rain, the guy with the uh, fire from heaven, that Elijah was as human as we are. That means he's just like we are. And yet when he prayed 
Say earnestly. That no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. There's that word earnestly again. He prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, and then no rain fell for three and a half years. There's something about this earnest or fervent prayer. There's something about it. Because I know for a fact, when I look at the next verse, verse 18, it says, then he prayed again. Say, prayed again. By the way, those who say you only pray once and never again have not read 1 Kings. Elijah says he prayed again. The sky went down, rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. If you go back and read 19, you find out that Elijah did this seven times. Seven times he prayed. So it's very clear to me when it says he prayed again in 18, and then you go back in 17, and it says he prayed earnestly. There are two types of prayers here. One prayer where he's praying earnestly, and something happens, and another prayer where he's praying again, and something happens. By the way, in both cases, something happens. Even if you get prayer wrong most of the time, something should happen. But I've gotten into this, and I said, tell me more, Lord, about what's happening with this prayer and this earnest prayer and James, because James is really important for what we're about to do today. So I went back and I said, let's go back into Elijah and look at his two prayers. Let's go back and look at the prayer he prayed for rain and the, pray, the prayer he prayed right here for more rain. So one he prayed no rain, one he prayed for more rain. Okay, the more rain was second. So I went back and looked at that. Elijah 18.42. Look at what it says. This is when he prayed for more rain. But Elijah climbed the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. I'm teaching you here. You ever prayed like this? You ever been desperate and prayed? You ever, you ever just screamed out to the Lord, fell on the floor, fell on your face, slayed at an altar, cried, laid out, put your hands up and screamed to God? You ever prayed like that? Of course, we all have. We all have. We've had desperate prayers. That's what he was doing in 1 Kings 18.42. But this is when he prayed seven times for the rain to fall. Back in James, it just called this a prayer. It says he prayed again. And again, and again, and again, seven times he did it, and rain fell. These are the prayers that I know. When you come to me, and you're desperate, when things are happening, these are the types of prayers that I've grown up with, where I get in my closet, I get on the floor, I scream, I yell, put my head between my knees, I come into the sanctuary when no one's in here, I cry out to God. I know these prayers. You know these prayers. These are not earnest prayers. These are not the prayers James was talking about earlier, when he said, Elijah prayed an earnest prayer, and the rain stopped. What is an earnest prayer? You can go back and look at the Greek. It's crazy what it says. I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to go back with you so you don't have to do it. In 1 Kings 18 is when he prayed for more rain. In 1 Kings 17 is when he prayed for the rain to stop. When he prayed again. It says right here in 1 Kings 17 verse 1. It says, Elijah went before the king. And he prayed these 19 words. Surely, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there will be no more rain. He didn't put his head between his knees. He didn't shout out to God. He stood there before men. He then said, there will be no more rain. Does that stick out to you? Is that the type of prayers you pray? 
This is a very simple, imperative statement, a command. There will be no more rain. Go back to Jesus now. Jesus said this all throughout the Gospels. I put two pictures on the screen. The top one is of a mulberry tree. The bottom one is of a mountain. Bottom one is Luke chapter 17. The disciples said, give me some faith, Lord. Increase my faith, Lord. We don't have enough faith to do what we need to do. Increase my faith, Lord. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be cast into the sea and it will do it. Be uprooted and cast into the sea and it will do it. Be uprooted and cast into the sea. And it, they didn't have enough faith to say that sentence. Be uprooted and cast into the sea. It's a command. We have to command the tree. You say, well, the tree's going to get up and move itself? Absolutely not. It didn't say tree, move yourself and get into the sea. It said be uprooted. It's passive tense. It means something's happening to it. What's moving it? Your faith. How much faith do I need to move a whole tree into the sea? That must be an awful lot of faith. Jesus says the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest amount possible. But it requires us to step in the gap and do it. Then in Matthew chapter 17, he says the same thing. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it should do it. You know, in that passage in Matthew chapter 17, he said that because the disciples tried to pray for a child with seizures, and they couldn't heal the child with seizures. And so Jesus said, you don't have enough faith. And then he healed the child with a seizure, and then he said this, you need faith the size of a mustard seed. So often as pastors and prophets and apostles, we get into a routine of doing what we do and following the routine and expecting something to happen, and we lose the fact that there must be faith involved. In that particular case, God healed that child in a public place so everyone could see. In other cases, God healed people in private. I don't know why he heals people in private or heals people in public, but I do know it's all for his glory as we saw back in John. Amen? Are you following me? It says, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Move from here to there. These are commands that we should be praying when we need to pray earnest prayers. Are you capable today of praying an earnest prayer? Are you capable of speaking to your struggle, your problem, your affliction, your challenge, and commanding it? I told you, we fight not against flesh and blood. Everything is influenced by spiritual powers, high authorities and wicked things in high places. I told you that. Everything is influenced by something spiritual. That doesn't mean you're possessed that doesn't mean that Satan's winning. It just means he has an influence, an affliction, a struggle. Are you willing to command him out of your life or out of someone else's life? How much faith do I need to do that? Again, the Bible says it's as small as a mustard seed. There's a picture of a mustard seed. Look at the size of that. It's a small seed that they knew back then. It's tiny. This says, I have a mustard seed and I'm not afraid to use it. You know, I want to make this point, and then I have to get to what I want to do today. We hear this verse, mustard seed, and then we begin to think, wow, you know, maybe I don't have the right kind of faith, or maybe I need more faith, and we get hung up on the amount of faith and, and what our faith is like. 
Why does God need our faith? Who's moving the mountain? Is it us? Who's moving the mulberry tree? Is it us? Absolutely not. God is moving the mountain. He is moving the tree. He is healing people. But he requires, for some crazy reason, us to participate. How much do we need to participate? Do we need to go to Bible school? Do we need to read all the scriptures? Do we need to know, understand all the Greek and Hebrew? Do we need to know all the right prayers? No, you just need this much faith. I believe all of you have this much faith, do you not? Our faith is in addition to God's power. Elijah then says to God to answer me and answer my prayer here and now so that all could see and fire comes down from heaven. The question is today, are you ready to pray those prayers? You said you're ready for miracles. Are you ready to pray these type of prayers? Are you? 19 words. Surely as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there will be no more. The highlight here is there will be no more. There are people in this church who have called me up in the last couple weeks and said, I need no more in my life. We've sung a lot about more, more, more of God, but we want no more of what Satan is doing in our life. I want no more affliction in my body. I want no more affliction in my marriage. I want no more affliction in my children. I want no more. There needs to be no more. Morgan has been in the hospital, many of you know. She didn't share it first. She was keeping it private. She woke up one day and all of a sudden couldn't see. One eye is fuzzy. After a period of time, it's almost totally can't see out of it. Later on, the other eye goes fuzzy. Now they're worried about all sorts of things, all sorts of really serious conditions. So she goes to the emergency room to get checked out for all of these things, and they're trying to figure out all of these things. Medication, procedures, tests, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just raising stress and anxiety to all new levels. Do they have all the answers? I can tell you, no. She can tell you, no. Do they have prescriptions and things they can do for her? Sure. Are they helping? Quite possibly. Are they completing her healing? No. She's home now. The doctors say, it's all I can do for you. And she's still struggling. She's here this morning. She's here today because her and I have talked and she wants no more in her life. Do you agree, Morgan? You can shake your head. She may not be able to see me from here because she's still struggling with her sight, her balance, her strength, her nerves and her body sometimes flare up to the point where you can't even touch her. Physically, can't touch her. And then between the drugs and everything else that she's been going through, you know, the dizziness and the vertigo and all of that. And so, we've been talking. We're going to pray for Morgan in a second, exactly like Jesus has taught us to do. It's not just Morgan. Some of you were here a few services ago, right in the back there where that couple is sitting. Morgan's little sister, Gabriella, sat with Morgan's mother, and Gabriella had a violent seizure. It was an impactful and significant and violent seizure. She screamed out and she was convulsing. Some of you went to her attention. We prayed for her in service. Gabriella's been dealing with this issue for 10 years. I don't know if that's the right number, but about a decade. 10 years, 10 years, violent seizures, sometimes multiple ones a day. Extremely difficult. Her mother her father, her brothers, her sisters, her family members want no more. Will you agree with me this morning? Do you believe that God can do these things? Do you believe that it's God doing these things and not any of us? And do you believe that we must participate and have a role in it for whatever crazy reason? And that our role is teeny, 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 tiny, but it is instrumental. We must have faith 
that God can do it. I want to point out one more thing about this verse here. I highlight the bottom part. There will be no more so that I can share with you these stories. But I want to highlight the middle part here. It also says, surely as God is your look, before whom I stand, there will be no more. Recognize when we come up here to pray, we are not praying with Pastor Sean or Morgan or these people. We are praying before Jehovah God. It is before God whom we stand that allows him to do things through us and not the other way around. Do you hear me? So this morning, we are going to pray. We are going to stand. We are going to stand in agreement for Morgan first and baby Gabriella second. And then if there's others who want to join in corporate prayer, we'll pray for them. But, but the focus this morning is to pray for these two people and to watch God have his way in our life and to start with us. Are you following me? Are we in agreement? Sean, are you sure this is scriptural? You know, praying for healing, having people come up to the altar. I don't know. That sounds a little crazy to me. It's not the church I'm used to. We just ask the priest to pray and they go do something. Like, this is, you know, too intimate, too uncomfortable for me. Sounds like a Pentecostal thing. James chapter 5, right before earnest prayer, it says prayer of faith. The same word for prayer of faith, the same word for fervent, the same word for earnest, all the same. And it says, are any of you sick? Check, check. Would you call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil? Do we have elders? Check. Do we have oil? Check. Are we sick? Check. Okay, so this is in the word of God. And what does it say about the prayer of faith? Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Do you believe that, Morgan? I believe it. I've seen it many, many times. Does this mean he won't heal you at home? I prayed for my son, Austin, for like six weeks in a row straight. Fervent prayers, earnest prayers, all the prayers. God did not heal Austin. He was destined for surgery in his situation. We came to Kingsway. They had a healing service like we're about to do here. Austin came up. They prayed over him like you see up on this board here. And instantly he was healed. No surgery was required. Why does it take multiple times to pray? Why does location matter? Why is sometimes it's private prayer, sometimes it's corporate prayer? Why does sometimes God uses surgery and medicine and other times he doesn't? I don't know. I'm just little old me. But I do know what the word of God says. Are you with me? Are you with me? We're going to try something different this morning. Normally the way that this is done is we would call up the elders. They would stand here with me. We would bring up the desperate prayer. In this case, Morgan, she would walk up. We would surround her. We will anoint her with oil, and we will pray the prayer of faith over her. We've done that many times, and God has moved in that. But I believe I've missed something because I've now so focused on these scriptures and what God is trying to say and the nuances of Elijah and James and how he's connected it all together. I have discovered something, and I want to share it with you. Do you want to hear it? If I go back and read the sentence right before any of you sick, James says two more things. He says, are any of you suffering and are any of you happy? Quite literally, he's covering off on all of y'all. If any of you are hardships, you should be praying. Maybe it's not the level of what we're dealing with right now. Maybe it's just a personal hardship, like you don't have the character you want in your video game. Fine, you should be praying for your hardship. 
and the rest of you who aren't sick and aren't in hardships must be happy, you should be singing praises. You should be acknowledging that we are standing before God himself and you should be singing his praises. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.